This is the word of God. Luke chapter 1 verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time for service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. For the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he had shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. So we pick up at verse 57, entitled The Birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like the name, to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, 
and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So verse 60, uh, 67. John's father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show us mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Good morning. Uh, Today I'd like to take a few minutes to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. And um, hopefully we'll get on to Zechariah's song, really, at the end. Uh, Known as the Benedictus, which is blessed be in Latin. If you're not fluent in Latin yourselves, Benedictus. It's basically the first words in Zechariah's song in verse 68. And I think we can learn quite a bit from their lives and from this song of praise, which is also a prophecy. Zechariah, Elizabeth and baby John... Uh, later to be known as John the Baptist, have quite an interesting story, really. Uh, it's often only seen as a small side story. It's only this time of year we think about it, and we know that the main event isn't them. So it's only a side story. If this birth had happened at any other time in history, I think it's possible that Zechariah and Liz, uh, Abijah, would have had their own book, or at least their own chapters, few chapters within the history of Israel. But because of the timing of this story, it only gets half a chapter at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Granted, that is the longest chapter in the New Testament, but still in a book that is 24 chapters, and if you include Acts as well as uh, part of Luke's Gospel, it's 52 chapters, this only gets half a chapter. And the story is not even really about Zechariah or Elizabeth, nor John, when you get to the heart of the matter. And even though this story's got a high priest, it's got a long marriage, it's got fertility issues, it's got an angelic visit, uh, it's got a miraculous promise from God, a miraculous punishment from God, a miraculous pregnancy. It's got a leaping fetus 
We didn't read those verses, but a leaping fetus, an unexpected naming ceremony, a miraculous healing, and a spontaneous worship song. Not only that, it's the birth of the official prophet of the Most High, the man John, who was later to be known as the greatest man who ever lived. Jesus declared him that. But despite the fact he's got all that excitement, all those parts to it, it's only really recorded for us as an arrow or a signpost pointing at something else. So it can almost be seen here as a page filler. Despite the action, despite the miracles, despite the characters, despite the fact it takes up 52 verses, it can really be summarised in just five words. Five words, I think, in verse 76, where it says, prepare the way for him. Prepare the way for him. And a little spoiler for those of you who don't know who the him is in this verse. It is the long-awaited and long-promised saviour, redeemer and lord, Jesus. So if the point is just five words, prepare the way for him... Why does it take 52 verses? Is Luke just a waffler? Well, this one is perhaps, but Dr. Luke, I don't think was. The other three gospel writers don't mention any of this story. And if they originally noted it down in their first draft, it got cut before the final draft was printed of Matthew, Mark and John. But Luke kept it in. Is that because he's a storyteller? Is he a bit like my wife? Prone to answer a short question with a long story? My wife's often asked questions that could be answered with five words. Simple words like prepare him room. And she goes, well, let me take you back to last week. <laughs> so there's only five words needed here, eh? But she's a storyteller. She gives people context. She sets the scene. Sometimes I think she's waffling, but is that what Luke is doing here? Is that what Luke is doing here? I don't think so. See, Luke starts his gospel with a note in Luke 1 to the reader, the recipient, that says, I have carefully investigated everything that's been fulfilled, everything that's been fulfilled among us recently, and it seemed good for me to write down an orderly account for you so that you can be certain of the things you've heard. He wrote an orderly account. He wanted the reader to be certain it was the truth, that he was writing about what had been fulfilled. And I think that word, fulfilled, is the big clue as to why he includes this section about Zech, Liz and John. Luke's big focus in all of the Gospel is that Jesus was the fulfilment of all the promises that God had made In the history of Israel. So Luke takes the time to build on the foundations at the beginning of his gospel that underline the fact that he sees Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises. He sees Jesus as the concluder of the holy covenant, the old holy covenant, and the starter of a new holy covenant. And we'll see from Zechariah's life and song that he eventually had the same understanding. So let me remind us of the backstory quickly. Then we'll read Zechariah's song again 
And I'll underline a few truths from it. So right at the beginning of Luke chapter 1 from verse 5, we find out that Zechariah belonged to the Israelite tribe and family that were chosen to be God's priests. He was born into the role of being one of God's chosen servants in the priesthood. And his job on behalf of the whole nation was to run that temple, coordinate those sacrifices on behalf of all the people and model an upright and faithful life, we find in the first few verses. Model an upright and faithful life in regards to the law. And as we pick up the story, he's been doing this job well for years. He's good at it, we read. So Luke 1 verse 6. Both of them, this is him and his wife, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. He's been married to Elizabeth for years at this point, but unfortunately they've not been able to have any children. And now it looks like it's never going to happen because they are old. Very old. But Zechariah is about to be reminded that God likes giving life when that seems impossible. He's also going to be reminded that when God promises, God delivers. No matter how big, how unlikely, how incredible it seems, when God promises, God delivers. So one day Zechariah is chosen by God to be on duty. They drew lots, the priests. And the one who, uh, I don't know if it drew the short straw or rolled the right uh, number on the dice, whatever the way they chose to do it. It was Zechariah and he's in the temple. He's on duty within the holy sanctuary of the temple. His job is to keep making sure there's enough incense burning And the right sacrifices are taking place. And suddenly an angel from God appears with a message from God. The angel says, you've been praying. God's been listening. Elizabeth will soon be expecting. It's a promise. Elizabeth will bear you a son. This is from uh, verse 13 to 17. And it's followed by a few other promises. Let's read them together. Luke 1, 13 to 17. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. You will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Then at the end, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Sounds similar to our five-word summary, prepare the way for him. But Zechariah hears all these wills, promises from God, and doubts. He questions, how, how will my wife be pregnant? We're old, she is old. As a side note here, can I just ask you all a rhetorical question to ponder today? 
Are you currently asking, or have you ever asked, God, how is that possible? Have you ever doubted his promises, his goodness? Have you ever thought, no, this thing I'm praying for, this thing I want, it's too big, it's too hard, it's impossible? Zechariah did, and God was so angry at that ignorant and irreverent question that he silences Zechariah. He totally shuts his mouth and ties his tongue. And he probably even deafens him too. He silences Zechariah. It's a strong rebuke because Zechariah knew the scriptures and he knew the answer to this question. It's in Jeremiah 32, verse 27. It's actually later in in, uh, Luke 1. But surely the uh, passage that Zechariah should have remembered, that should have been burning in his ears as he asked this question, was from Genesis 18. See if you can spot any similarities here in Genesis 18. So in Genesis 18, we have an angelic visitor that brings a message to an old man called Abraham to tell him that his old wife will bear him a son. And Sarah says, really? We're old. How? And God's reply in Genesis 18, verse 14. God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So, if you're praying for a family member to be converted, but it's taking years and their heart seems to be getting harder, you're getting less chances to witness, you're getting older. Keep praying, keep trusting. Is anything too hard for the Lord? If your finances are in trouble and the roof is leaking, you've lost your job, you're beginning to doubt God is big enough, to see you through. Keep praying, keep trusting. Is anything too hard for the Lord? If you've had some sickness or health issue in your family, the doctors can't find a solution. It's wearing your family down and things are getting worse. You're tired, you're worn out. Keep praying, keep trusting. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anyway, back to our story in Luke 1. It turns out that, it's a, that it wasn't too hard for the Lord. And Elizabeth is pregnant. And, even more amazingly, six months later, not only is an old lady pregnant, a virgin is pregnant. It's as if that bit was just to underline to Zechariah that nothing is too hard for me. <coughs> The Lord says, you asked me, can a barren old womb give life? Can you put new life into that? And God says, I can put new life into a virgin womb. Watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days you would not believe. I can create life wherever. So Elizabeth give birth. And as the family wrestle with her about what to name this baby... They look at Zechariah, and because he's been mute and possibly deaf for at least nine months, he grabs a writing tablet, and I don't know whether it was at this moment the light bulb goes on, 
And he's understood what God is doing or it's been dawning on him for nine months since God silenced him. But he writes on this tablet, his name is John. God had already named the baby. John means God is gracious. And Zechariah must have smiled to himself and in his own mind, because he couldn't say it out loud, said, yes, God, you're gracious. You keep your promises. Nothing is impossible for you. I see it. Of course, his name is John. God is gracious. And immediately, Zechariah is healed. He breaks free from his silence and he sings. If you're trying to follow along in your Bible, I've just summarised verse 5 to 64. Went quite quick there. In verse 65... Luke 1. All the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? The Lord's hand was with him. So the talk of the town is this child, this special child, baby John. What is he going to be? Something big is going on here. This child's future is special. And the Holy Spirit reveals or clarifies a lot of things for Zechariah in this moment. His mouth is opened. Probably his ears were opened. And I think in a way his eyes were opened. Now all of God's promises make sense to him. All that Zechariah has known and been taught from the scriptures, all he's heard in the temple, all he's read about God, it suddenly makes sense. And Zechariah bursts forth in this song, which has three P's in it. Well, it has at least three P's, but three main P's to remember. He praises God, talks of promises fulfilled, and prepares the way for him. So I'm going to read it again. I'm actually going to read it from the Good News translation. I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, when I've read things a thousand times in the NIV, I need just a little different phrasing to get my head around it. So let's read from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read all of Zechariah's song, verse 68. Let us praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to the help of his people and has set them free. He has provided for us a mighty saviour, a descendant of his servant, David. He promised through his holy prophets long ago that he would save us from our enemies, from the power of all those who hate us. He said he would show mercy to our ancestors and remember his sacred covenant. With a solemn oath to our ancestor Abraham, he promised to rescue us from our enemies and allow us to serve him without fear so that we might be holy and righteous before him all the days of our life. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High God. You will go ahead of the Lord to prepare his road for him, to tell his people that they will be saved by having their sins forgiven. Our God is merciful and tender. He will cause the bright dawn of salvation to rise on us. And to shine from heaven on all those who live in the dark shadow of death. To guide our steps into the path 
of peace. So as I said, three things from this song. Firstly, Zechariah praises God. How can he not in this situation? His God has just been gracious and given him baby John, given him the son he'd always wished for, the son he'd been praying for, his prayers had been answered. God had miraculously healed his ears and his mouth and his eyes. But none of these things, none of these great reasons to praise God are really in this song. The miraculous pregnancy, the miraculous healing, ignored. Because Zechariah is seeing that there's something far bigger and far more praiseworthy going on here. Zechariah praises God because, in verse 68, God has come. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. Literally, he has visited Zechariah praises God because he has redeemed the people. He's brought his people out of slavery because he has saved. Zechariah must have been so excited to have this baby, to have his voice. But what he was most excited about is not his own good news, but Mary's good news. God has come. God has become man. And Mary would soon be giving birth to the God-man. Zechariah is excited about somebody else's baby. He's excited by a visitor called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come. Zechariah has so much good news to praise God for, so much in his story to delight in, to say, blessed be the Lord. But it's the good news that in the town of David, a saviour will be born that Zechariah focuses on. He's already singing in praise of what the angels will announce in three months later. So in Luke 2, verses 10 to 14, we'll probably read them again over the coming days. But the angel appears to the shepherds and says, do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Zechariah started the song a little bit early, three months early, but he's seen the truth. Emmanuel has come. And bursting into songs of praise when good news is revealed, it's very common in the Bible. When Mary realises what the angel's saying to her, she sings. Mary's songs in verse 46. Zechariah sings. The angels sing. The shepherds sing later in Luke 2. And then Simeon in the temple sings as well. When your eyes are open to the truth... In God's word, when a promise is fulfilled, when God does something impossible, your natural reaction should be to write a song. Or at least sing one if you're not creative enough to write one. Sing praise to our good God. 
Secondly, in this song, Zechariah spots that this visit from God and this redemption and salvation that has come was all promised in advance. Now, I mean, in in his own life, Zechariah had realised that God was a promise-keeping God. Because Zechariah had been promised a baby boy, and he got a baby boy. Zechariah realised God was a promise-keeping promise from his own good news story. But Zechariah here is again not interested in his own story, in his own child. He's thinking about some other promises that were for all of Israel, in fact all the world, and were fulfilled in another baby, in Mary's baby. So what promises did God coming to earth fulfil? Well, um, there are about 300 or more in the scriptures, and I haven't got long enough to read them all to you. Hundreds, but I'm going to quickly mention a few that Zechariah gets round to hinting at. So a three in one. There's the promise that the Messiah would come from the royal family of David. That's a promise in the scriptures. Not only would the Messiah come from the family of David, the family of David would then reign forever, and that the offspring of David would build God's church. Three promises about David's family, all wrapped up into one. Jesus was from the royal family of David. He came to reign forever. And as the offspring of David, he came to build the church upon himself as the rock, the cornerstone. Another three in one, there's the promise that the people of Israel would be saved from destruction, that the people of Israel would be unified, that the people of Israel would be rescued from enemies. There's many places, actually, these things are promised to the people of Israel, and Zechariah spots it. says, yeah, this Messiah coming... He's going to save the people, rescue us from our enemy. He's going to unify us as a people. Again, all things fulfilled by Christ Jesus. Again, we see the promise that God would send a prophet ahead of the Lord. And that the prophet would turn the hearts of the fathers and sons back to each other in love. Basically, he would bring a repentance to the people. They'd all be turning back to each other, turning back to God. Well, that's what John was. Another promise fulfilled. There's another promise written many times in the scriptures that the Messiah would bring forgiveness for sins and Zechariah sees it and understands it and remembers it, declares it in his song. And there's the promise that the Messiah would be The sun rising would be the new dawn in the morning. He'd bring light to the dark world. There are many more promises fulfilled by Jesus coming. Some of the promises were made as recently as nine months ago to John. Some of the promises were made at the beginning of all time when Adam and Eve first sinned. There were old ones, there were new ones, there were big ones, there were small ones. 
There were thousands in between in the years that passed. But promises that God kept. He said, I will. And he did. And the third thing to notice from Zechariah's song is that John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. And I think that Luke is not only thinking of the preaching and baptising that John did about 30 years later. I think that Luke sees all of this story as preparing the way. All of the miracles, all of the announcements, all of the angels, all of the promises, they're preparing the way for Jesus. It's very true that John was given a special job. He was preparing the way for Jesus in the months directly before Jesus' earthly mission began. We'll get to that in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 3. In fact, in this version of uh, the NIV, it's titled, John the Baptist Prepares the Way, in chapter 3. John was given this special job, a special time frame to do it in. But I think that John was only really the last, and perhaps greatest, preparer in a long line of preparers as I mentioned God first made his promise about Jesus coming in the beginning of Genesis when he says that the offspring of Adam would eventually crush the serpent's head he would defeat the deceiver Satan and everything from that point onwards points to Jesus Everything from that point onwards can be classed as preparing the way for Jesus. And all of the Old Testament stories and scriptures are a sign directing people to this point. Just like when you see signposts on the way to an event. Maybe you're driving to um, a village where you've heard there's a fair or a church. As you get closer and closer you see more and more signs left at the next roundabout. Signs get bigger and clearer and closer so that you don't get lost, so that you don't miss it. In the same way, all the signs in the Old Testament point to Jesus. And Zechariah realised that he and his son John were to be two of the last and clearest and biggest signs. Ta-da! The Saviour has come. So one obvious question at this point is, so how did John prepare the way for Jesus? Well, there's some good answers to that question in Luke 3. John 3, verse 3 says, He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He had a message. It was baptism. It was repentance. It was forgiveness. And baptism, repentance, forgiveness, sins, they're all complicated Bible words. But it means that John was telling everyone to turn from the selfish lives they've been living and follow Jesus. He said they should be baptised, which is just to be washed clean of all the evil choices they've made. To die and put them to bed. Leave them in the water. All the ways they disobeyed God. Leave that behind and turn to follow Jesus. They could be saved from the punishment that sins require, which is death. They could instead be forgiven 
You'd be saved from slavery. Slavery to darkness. That's what we read at the end of Zechariah's song. Set, saved from the darkness and brought into this new dawning light. John was telling people that someone was coming. Someone who could free everyone, could fix everyone, could heal everyone and could forgive them. And John was there to tell people, you need to prepare him room. Prepare him room in your hearts. Prepare to love him, prepare to serve him. So the conclusion here this morning and in this section in Zechariah's song, if you're not a Christian yet here this morning, is to prepare room in your heart to love and serve the king who came at Christmas. Jesus is the one who saves people from themselves, who rescues people from darkness and evil. And by turning from your current way of life, it's called repenting, and by asking for God's forgiveness, you can receive God's tender mercy, as Zechariah calls it. Tender mercy. And the feeling you'll get once you realise you've received God's forgiveness, you've received that mercy, the feeling is absolutely life-changing. It caused Zechariah to jump up and sing. John's job, as was Zechariah's, and all the prophets who came before them, was to tell people that the sun was about to rise. The end of this song finishes with a line about the day spring coming, is the literal translation. The sunrise from on high coming. Whichever way you translate it, it's describing Jesus coming like a new day, full of new hope, new life. The world was as black as night before Jesus came. But he is as glorious as the sun rising on a new day. And once you realise that Jesus came to shine beautiful light into the lives of anyone sat in the dark, then there's nothing else you can do but sing like Zechariah does here. In fact, it's not really a coincidence that when the dawn rises, when there's the day spring in the morning, birds sing. When the sun comes up, the dawn chorus is birds worshipping God for his mercy, for the new life he's given. It's exactly what Zechariah and Mary and Simeon and the angels and the shepherds did when they heard the good news. Sang praise to God for the son of righteousness that he'd sent. The conclusion for us who are believers, who've seen that dawn light... Well, I've got three things for you. One was the question I asked earlier. Are you living as if you truly believe that there is nothing too hard for the Lord? Nothing too hard for him. If you're truly living like there's nothing too hard for the Lord, then you should be bold and brave and confident and triumphant and pray big prayers. Second thing for us who are believers here this morning. The next time you are asked, have you got any news by your neighbours? Or the next time you're sharing some personal good news. Zechariah had some personal good news, a baby. 
The next time you're saying, oh, good news, I'm pregnant. Or good news, I got a job. I got that new job. I challenge you to be a bit more like Zechariah. And realise that your personal good news is tiny in comparison to the good news that Jesus has come. That he's fulfilled the promises and has forgiven your sins. So when your friend asks you what's the news, don't tell him about yesterday or the football game or the new coat you got. Tell him the good news. And thirdly, Christians, do you sing like a bird when you think about Jesus being the sunrise from heaven? Does praise flow from your lips when you think about the good news? Zechariah says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come 